Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We know that the Holy Scriptures teach us and they comfort us. And this miracle worked by Jesus and Mark's gospel, it does that. It teaches you and it comforts you. Now, it teaches you something about yourselves, who you are, how you think and live in this world toward your neighbor and love and in faith toward God. And you see, it comforts you as you see Jesus had compassion on the people. And he has compassion on you. So listen again to those words recorded by St. Mark. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can you one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. Now this account is the feeding of the 4,000, and there's a parallel account of this in Matthew's Gospel. And a similar feeding we often think of, too, is the feeding of the 5,000, and we have that account during the Lent season. But in all of these accounts, though, Jesus is taking care of his people. And as such is the case as the feeding of the 5,000, he even tests his disciples before working the miracle feeding all these people. The disciples here in the feeding of the 4,000, they ask him, how are you going to do this? And he asks them how many they have. They have seven loaves. And some of us have Jesus saying, that's enough, right? I'm God. He's having compassion on these people. But why does he do that? He's the Lord. He's the Lord who created them, and he still takes care of them. So for you, listening to this event in the life of Jesus, you see that you're not excluded from this care of the Lord. God still takes care of you, even as you pray, give us this day our daily bread in the Lord's Prayer. And God has ordered by his providence, in that cloud of the day, providence is the care of God and this order that he's given to us, establishing the world, that he's given to take care of us. Now, in this reading, a miracle kind of works outside of that order. He does something miraculous. But that compassion that God has to you even now is still the same. God now works through the various vocations he calls you in the church, the family, and the world. And it's always an interesting thing, too, especially being a Christian parent. And it humbles you to be the instrument by which God has compassion for his children I was talking about this the other day with a couple, that Luther uses that term, the mask of God, when talking about uh, giving daily bread and the like in this world. So as a Christian father or mother, you are a mask of God to your children. And when you work and put food on the table for your children to eat, this is God feeding your children. It's not to say you're God, far from the case, but your children see God at work in their lives when they are taken care of by you. God is wearing a mask, and in this case, kind of a weird, scary-looking mask, that looks like a father, looks like their mother. But God is having compassion. But it goes beyond parents, too, as God uses you in those various vocations to take care of your neighbors in whatever shape or form this may be. As Christians, we see how we serve in this world as directed towards our neighbor. 
Think about just doctors and nurses, the mask of God and healing people as they examine, diagnose, administer care, and give medication to patients. Farmers are mask of God's creative work as they plant, tend, and harvest their crops. Only those mask of God have John Deere hats or international hats, I guess. But you get the idea. So God calls you always to remember this and for what purpose you serve and work in this world. Because work, it's good. And it has its place. Even before the fall into sin, God gave Adam work to do. In that reading from Genesis, it is said, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So for a Christian, then, to see and think about that he shouldn't work or for him to despise working, that's sinful. Throughout history, you'll hear sometimes the word sloth, not the little animal that crawls on a tree, but sloth is one of the seven deadly sins. And it's sometimes misunderstood as simply being lazy. But it goes beyond that because the, the actual word is asedia or akedia. There's different ways you can pronounce it. And what that really means is kind of an apathy to an extent, but also just a genuine lack of caring or thinking about your place in this world. When you look at the world around you, you just sit there and go, whatever. It's going through this life not considering who you are, not considering what you have been called to do, not considering your neighbor. Now, the greatest form of this is the sin against the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day, be keeping it holy. So in that case, then, kind of it's pinnacle when someone doesn't care to hear God's word or refusing to live in that place. He's refusing to live in here in that place, that order that God has called him to live and by virtue of his baptism, who he is. So in the state of this world, then, God orders society. He orders it around people working and serving one another, starting first and foremost with a husband taking care of his wife. Eve was created from Adam. Adam was given to to take care of and had charge over his wife, Eve. And then parents are established in order to take care of their children, and it spirals out from there. That's the very basis of society, a man and a woman, and the children that God gives them through that union. But you hear a lot in the news, though, about things like equity or whatever the latest buzzword is to that day. But there's a reason why things like socialism, communism, they're fundamentally, fundamentally contrary to Christianity for many reasons. And simply this, just this case of work, which is one of the more benign things about it, it's not to say that you shouldn't take care of others and give, but what it does mean is that there is indeed different types of work, there's different classes of this, and it's good, it's godly. And yes, even having different authorities, responsibilities, wages, those are all good things. So when Trump, someone tries to think they can put all people and things on the same level and distribute it out as a way of building and understanding society and how this all fits together, C.F.W. Walter, once, the first president of the Missouri Senate, once famously said, when we try to create a living heaven on earth, what we end up doing in the process is creating a living hell. Work is good. God worked. God rested from his work. Working for the sake of your neighbor is good. Order and structure, they're good. Because God is not a God of confusion. He's not a God of disorder. Now, another thing Jesus teaches you in this is at the beginning of this reading, and it puts your priorities into focus as you start to think about 
this order and who you are in this world and how God has established it. So listen again to what St. Mark reported. We heard, in those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. So here are these people, and told again, another great crowd, a big crowd. They were distracted. Why? Well, they had other things on their mind, and now they're like, now we've got to eat, right? We have nothing to eat, and it's a desolate place. There's not a Target, there's not a Walmart nearby, and Uber Eats doesn't deliver. So what distracted them? Well, Jesus did. And more specifically, listening to Jesus teach. They were feasting, but they were feasting on his word, and now... Their bellies. They need some food. Now it brings to mind the story of Mary and Mary and Martha at the end of Luke 10. Remember that story? It's pretty short. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So Martha and Mary had Jesus at their house. And rather than sitting and listening to him, Martha was distracted. She got about, forgot about what was important. Now, it doesn't say, t- mean, mean to say that taking care of things in the house and serving is bad in and of itself. You don't say, I'm going to listen to Jesus, so I'm going to let my house go to ruins. But she lost sight of the one thing necessary or needful, as some translations had it. She forgot about that order of things and who she is in this order. Mary, her sister, sat. She listened to Jesus. Jesus was in their house. He was right there before them. Close your mouth, listen to him. So here then, the people in the gospel reading today were with Jesus three days. They're listening to him preach. They're listening to him teach. And so we see that God takes care of you and and you take care of others. But that also is not set against the expense of listening to Jesus. The epistle reading speaks about your freedom in Christ now that you've been baptized. And as you heard about that last week in the epistle reading, and this is shortly after last week's reading. Last week was from the beginning of Romans chapter 6, and this is a few few verses later in that same chapter where this picks up. So St. Paul, by divine inspiration, wrote, When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from which of the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification, and it's end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what does this mean, then, that good Lutheran question? Well, as a Christian baptized into Christ, you have freedom. You have freedom in Christ to listen to Jesus. You have freedom in Christ to serve your neighbor. Both of those things are true. So, use your freedom wisely as a Christian. Never use it as an excuse or cover-up for sin. 
Also, don't neglect to serve your neighbor in the vocations God has called you to serve. But remember, God is a God of order. Put all things in their proper place and realize that everything comes from and is brought about because your Lord is compassionate, taking care of your needs of body and soul. So your life in Christ is formed, it's shaped, and it's a fruit of the redemption you have in Christ. Take yourself away from forgiveness, life, and salvation given to you in the means of grace, and you go back into slavery, where you were rescued from. Not only that, but your faith will starve to death. So your prayer, then, is what you prayed a few minutes ago in the collect of the day. O God, whose never-failing providence, that is his care, orders all things, both in heaven and in earth, that God has established and set in their place, we humbly implore you to put away from us all hurtful things and to give us those things that are profitable for us. So, dear people of God, listen to the miracle of your Lord that he did out of his great compassion. Listen to what Jesus did for these people who were hungry. And he directed the crowds to sit down. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave to them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. So the comfort in all of this, then, is that Jesus, the one who worked this miracle, he's the same. Yesterday, today, forever. The same God who created Adam and Eve, putting them in the Garden of Eden, is the same God who fed 4,000 people. And he's the same God who has redeemed you. The same God who has called you out of slavery. The same God who has placed his name upon you in the waters of holy baptism. The same God who is here, even now, that you're sitting at his feet listening to. The same God who feeds you. The same God who sends you on your way as people who are forgiven, redeemed, sanctified, and belong to God. And he's the same God who will not forsake you in this world. And even in, not in the life to come. He hears and answers your prayers, not because of how hard you pray or how great your faith is. He does this all out of his compassion. Well, how do you know this? Because Jesus, he's crucified for you. Your sin has been washed away in the waters of holy baptism. He sends a preacher to you to deliver his forgiveness. The Lord feeds you with his own body and blood given and shed for you. So what a joy to, be have, to have and behold this day as you're sitting here listening to your Lord. You know what God thinks about you. You know how God feels towards you. He has compassion on you. And so he blesses you. He feeds you. He grants you the new life to live in faith toward him and in fervent love toward one another. And he sends you on your way, departing in peace from this place now and into eternity. Amen.